Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, we've been away for a couple of weeks. We've, we've had a little break. We have. And, uh, <laughs> and I feel uh, re-energised. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> well, just as I'm about to go away, so... Yeah, yeah, you're going away for a few days, aren't you, to, to lovely Vienna. That's right. So the film we, we've, we've come back after our little break with is They Shall Not Grow Old. Yes. Um... Hmm. It's Peter Jackson's new film, and there's been a lot of controversy around it because it's it's about the First World War. It's taken from archival footage, particularly a film called The Battle of the Somme, I think from, uh, from 19, 1916. Uh, and basically, it's been colorized. And it's not only been colorized, but it's kind of... so. So you have these shots, let's say, of a group of soldiers, and what... What Jackson has done is he's also kind of made close-ups of, of what was a group shot, right? And all of this is set to uh, interviews with veterans of the battle. Uh, so, you know, there are all these oral histories or all these oral accounts are woven in together. And also there's a lip-reading element. So I suppose actors have been hired to give voice to what lip-readers see or detect that uh, the people, people in, the, in the film say. Yeah. Right? So the film is made up of all of these various components, uh, uh, all of which have been deemed to be very controversial. Yeah. Uh, so the film was commissioned by 14 to 18 Now and the Imperial War Museums. Uh, 14 to 18 Now is a UK government sort of initiative to mm. commemorate the First World War because it's mm. the centenary. Um uh, I think it's kind of become blended a little bit with the IWM. I'm not sure exactly, but mm. um, that's that's been the, the impetus of the film. And then all of these uh, interviews, I counted actually at the end, they, they, they give you the names of every person uh, whose voice mm. makes an appearance in the film. There are 114 of them. Gosh. Um, primarily British, obviously. Um, that I counted three Australians, two Canadians and a French um, um, amongst them. Right. Uh, but it's, it's primarily... Uh, British and actually particularly English mm. stories that are being told. Um, and uh, these are interviews that, as far as I'm aware, were not commissioned... They were not done for the film. I think these are pre-existing... No, no, these are pre-existing... Pre from the BBC and the IWM. Uh, they're in archives, yeah. but uh, as you can see, there's a credit note where he thanks the oral historians That's right. who actually went to speak to all of these different people to kind of keep a record of their experiences. Yeah, so actually, so. These, actually it kind of struck me that um, not only is the, the, the footage... Um, archival, or at least you know, based on archival, and then we can talk about what's been done to it. But also the interviews kind of are as well, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so the film, uh, I mean, you can't spoil it. We won. <laughs> but, uh, what if, Though not on your own. <laughs> um, so what, what the film, what the film does, rather than. I mean, if you wanted to kind, of, if you wanted to tell sort of uh, in depth story of the war, it would take more than an hour and a half, two hour film. I don't know exactly mm. how long it is. Um, that's not what the film is attempting to do. And actually, uh, it, it's funny because there was some there was some talk beforehand, I think, between us and a couple of people that we know about the idea of it being that the, the the First World War generally is told as a lions led by donkeys mm. story. And there's very much this thing. It's saying that um, if anyone, if you've seen 
the full series of Blackadder, for instance, like the all, so much of the comedy in that series came out of this idea of that these these kind of good, honest, uh, salt of the earth people in the trenches were being led by these buffoons who didn't know what you know, who mm. didn't make all the wrong decisions or whatever it might be, didn't care. That's not what this film is doing, which I, I was I guess was kind of a pleasant surprise. I kind of expected that it might do. Um, what actually it does is ignore that really, and it just tries to portray through these memories and through this footage um, what the experience in in quite general terms of your uh, well not average because actually it's it's a, it's a story of it, it, their memories of lots of different people. So it's kind of there's a d- kind of general atmosphere of what the war felt like to. Uh, the people who were sent to fight in it, yes. actually not sent. Um, I mean, they were sent, but um, wanted to fight in it. Yes. One of the first things this, this really struck me. One of the first things that you see in the film because it, it essentially goes in chronological order, although it doesn't hit kind of points of like the Battle of the Sun, whatever. But it just basically goes from you know pre-war, the war, and then post-war. Yes. Um, very generally, and so you start off uh, pre-war, and what these veterans are are talking about a lot is wanting to go to war there's a huge section which is about you know i was 15 and you had to be 19 Mm. and so i told them i was 18 and they let me in Mm. and 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 the idea that um although these kids were lying to 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 um get into the army and go to war um the people the powers that be absolutely knew that it wasn't like they were being fooled they knew that these kids were 15 and 16 years old and they said just say that you're 19 and we'll let you in Mm. yeah and it was this thing it was this drive to to you wanted to fight for your country it was for king and country Mm. Um, there is a uh, an element of coercion as well though so one of the famous things about world war one is I, I don't know what they were called, but here uh, they, they I, I don't know the name for them, but they, it, it was kind of like a national phenomenon where women would gather together and give white feathers to uh, men who they thought should be at the war and shame them through cowardice. So mm. they basically kind of, you know, I, I don't know whether they were called white feather girls or so on or whatever, but actually there are, there is a story that tells an experience of that, of a, a guy walking through Camden and being accosted by these women and basically being called a coward and finding white feathers on, right. you know, his clothing. So it wasn't just, hurrah, well, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of. And actually, I think that's one of the nice things about the film, that through this weaving of different voices together into, you know, this footage, you it does become kind of like a, a tapestry in a way, right? You... Mm-hmm. You know, so out of, so the the focus is on individual experience, but actually through the weaving together, you get a collective experience as individual experience, or individual experience as collective experience, the other way around. But I thought that was one of the really lovely things about the film, actually. That yeah, it's something that I liked, and I think actually the film, um, although it, it it helps the film to kind of build a case in a way, um, because you have instead of one or two people saying something, you have maybe twenty people saying something, and that they're all saying ultimately the same sort of thing. Mm. We wanted to go. In fact, it's probably more than 20 at that point in the film. There's an awful lot of, yeah. of people telling these stories. The majority of people wanted to, wanted to go. Yeah. I think we, I only remember one incident of you know someone being accosted and made to feel a coward. Yeah. You know. But then there is, there is also that aspect, which I think you kind of hinted at there, which is that these stories, um, although you know, uh, um, they, are, they are stories being told by um, these veterans, um, may hide another aspect to it 
you know, these stories basically all point in one direction, which is that we all wanted to go. Mm. And it was a thing you wanted to do. And they talk about, I wanted to have a scrap mm. with Jerry and that yes. sort of thing. Um, but maybe they do hide something that's not being told in the film mm. of, you know, and if you didn't go, that was shameful. Mm. Yeah, or maybe I didn't really want to go. Yes. But I was, as you say, sort of coerced into it. So the film does tell a particular... It, like, it shapes the story. Well, I mean, I think this is something that maybe we should bring out even more when we talk about what we perceive the, the problems of the film to be. Because I think there's no question that a story is shaped for us uh, by Jackson, right? Yes. I mean, you know, this isn't like any kind of document of the truth of the war or anything. You know, it's a kind of a particular iteration of it, a particular version of it that's kind of, you know, visualized, shaped and given voice to by Jackson. Um, I personally think it's very successful in doing so. But there's no question that it is an individual's perspective. It's dedicated to his grandfather. Uh, who fought in the first Who fought in the war. I don't know who the other two people I think I'm not sure. One of them are. had New Zealand in his... Right. In his title. Right. So they may have been relatives as well. Yes. So so um so I I I actually do think that it's kind of quite an extraordinary achievement actually. Really? Yes, and I was moved. I must say I wasn't I wasn't moved, but that what maybe that's not that's neither here nor there. I'm not sure the film's project project is necessary to move you. Um uh it is to portray, though, this experience, and I think that's what it's very successful at. That's what I kind of got yes. the feeling of. Um, yes. Uh, or, or, the, or the, you know, the memories of, the, of this experience. I mean, so there is this aspect, which I guess we should come on to, of the film is built out of this archival footage. Yes. Um, and, and kind of newsreel footage and so on that was shot um, in, in, in training camps and in the trenches uh, that has been... Colorized, sharpened, um, transformed into three D, which we didn't see it in three D. No, we didn't. Um, uh, it, we saw it the electric, and they, that's just not what it wasn't being shown in three D there. Um, it's been cropped a little bit, like kind of Ken Burns, where you know it's just sort of just parts of the image are taken, or you move from one part of the image to the other. Um, it's been interpolated. The so frames have been interpolated to, you know, take footage that was at some points kind of ten or eleven frames a second and turn it into. Um, you kind of emulates what it would have looked like maybe at 20 yes. frames a second. And I think it's really, I think that is not successful. And actually I had a real problem with it. Partly, and we can talk about the ideological sort of things and the ethical aspects behind it, but but what's really surprised me about it was I was led to believe by everyone, all the promotional stuff and everyone talking about it in advance, saying this has become something really amazing, this footage, we've turned this into something really great. I thought it looked absolutely bloody awful. Oh, I didn't think it looked awful, but I certainly think the amazingness was um, overstated. I mean, my initial thing, you know, when it turned to color was, is that all there is? And actually the footage that we had seen previously looked so good mm. that I kind of felt it was a loss, actually, you know, when it turned into color, right? So for me, that wow element uh, was not there, but... But after a while, actually, the aspects of colorization I found interesting because it drew my attention to certain things that the black and white didn't. Such as? You know, such as um, 
the poppies, uh, you know, the, 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 it gave a kind of a three-dimensionality to the trenches, mm. yeah, that you could see spots of mud and so on. Uh, it drew your attention to the water, right, mm. uh, and so on. So I kind of, it, it, it made it much easier to differentiate between Germans and Brits. <laughs> Um, so actually, I think that, you know, that there were things that, uh, I found very useful, yeah, yeah, to kind of, to, 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 to have had it colorized, right? So, um, but I must say, you know, if what you're meant to go, oh, wow, you know, um, I didn't. The other thing, though, that I did think that the color brought out, and I think maybe this was more important than anything, uh, um is that it made each of the faces in the footage much more individual to me. It did bring them out, mm. you know, kind of. For me, it was much easier to distinguish, you know, amongst... Yeah, so, you know, you see, like, I don't know, some soldiers, and all of a sudden, you know, when you colorize it, you see this person and that person and that person. It, it brings out differences that in the black and white, it was easier for me at least to ignore. That's something that um, I, I think we should bring up uh, Lawrence Napper yes. at this point, who uh, you know and I know a tiny little bit basically through you, mm. um, who's written a couple of blogs and, uh, and a review yes. of this. He's been very, very active talking about it. And we should post all of those, all of that, and Pamela Hutchinson's piece as well on yeah. the blog, on the uh, podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links to that in the description yeah. and in uh, in our blog. Um, so L Lawrence's blog is called Out the Pictures and he's written a couple of pieces there. Um, and uh, there's also um, a, uh, a review on Silent London by Pamela Hutchinson. Mm. So we'll put links to those. Yes. Um, but what you were just talking about in terms of the faces is something that Lawrence brought up in particular, which is which I want, just want to find in his blog. Here we are. So this is talking about where, where the... Um, where a lot of the historical footage comes from. Lawrence says, We might think of the film footage as a historical object in and of itself. This material was shown widely in the UK during the war itself, both as short newsreel items and compiled into longer feature-length war actuality films, such as The Battle of the Somme in 1916. Um, audiences at the time reported that these films precisely enabled them to feel close to their, to their sons and husbands and to the experiences they were going through in the trenches, Roger Smith and others have pointed out the way in which the structure of those films encourage an attempt at recognition, the impulse to scan the screen for the face of your own loved one. Yes. And that's, that's you can see those shots. You know, these are shots that, that uh, are in They Shall Not Grow Old, right? Mm. These, these kind of, these panoramic, the, the camera pans across, um, you know, a, a bunch of soldiers sitting at a table having uh, lunch or just generally sitting around, wherever it might be when they're you know, mm. not fighting. Um, and it's and it's there, I think, where you talk about the kind of the faces kind of really coming out. Hmm. Um, and I think Peter Jackson again said said much the same that the faces really pop. Um, actually, that's where I had problem with some of it because that's where I felt what they've done to to try and kind of upgrade the image. Um, they've done an awful lot of sharpening and, as I say, kind of interpolation of frames that that weren't hmm. originally there. And in doing so, that it leads to. Like the, the sharpening seems to have been so aggressive that that the algorithm has been looking for edges that aren't there. So you get this kind of weird kind of it's it's like the image has been sort of painted and then like like stippled. So you get kind of light and dark 
in this in this very tight pattern that just it just again sort of ruins the image basically, and yet it's somehow kind of flat. Um, and this really happens on faces. Actually, it doesn't happen so much with like tanks and uh, and kind of military equipment because that's all kind of straight lines and things. So those tend to look quite good, but faces are really ruined by well, this. Well, I I I don't quite agree. I mean, so let's see if we're talking about the same thing because on the one hand, I kind of agree with you, but. You see, I think when he does that, when so what he does is he zooms in, yeah. you know, on what is a group shot to extract a close-up out of that shot. And he's got to often kind of zoom in, you know, to such an extent that um, what I saw was that the faces around the central image became distorted. There was a slight distortion, but yeah, which was odd. But actually, I didn't feel that there was a distortion on the face itself, on the central close-up itself. And actually, and I like that. <clears throat> and actually, I don't have any ethical problems with it. You know, one of the characteristics of, you know, contemporary life is that we do this reassemblage all the time with all aspects of popular culture. So, you know, my view is that as long as, you know, the archival footage of the Imperial War Museum remains as is and remains available to anyone who wants to see it mm. as is, then actually kind of, you know, all these kind of different workings that Peter Jackson does is, you know, kind of um, whatever he thinks he needs in order to kind of do his own narrative or give his version, right, of, of, of this experience. And actually, I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I was very glad to see, for example, that the room was full of people today. Right, it's packed, yeah. um, you know, so kind of its intent, which was, you know, to get people to remember and to get people to go see it and to re-experience and to, you know, hear what people said in their own words, or at least his version of what people said in their own words. I think in that, in all of those respects, it's immensely successful. I tend to agree. Um, actually, I, I have limited kind of ethical problems with it. And actually, I think the fact that the alterations to the footage and the additions yeah. have been so extensive actually means that um, you can't take it seriously as sort of uh, authentic. It's not true. It's not unvarnished or transparent truth. Right. You know, it is kind exactly. of... So, <laughs> so the, the, and the fact that like, if, if only a little bit had been done and they were like, well, this is, this is super authentic, that would be actually, I think, more of a problem in a way than the fact they've, they've done such an extensive series of changes to it. They've transformed it into something that I think is qualitatively different. I mean, I think you can't. If you were to take this as like, there's a suggestion. I think that it's going to be used as it's intended for use in schools as teaching material. I think that would be great. Um, and I think yeah, that would be great as long as like you know, as long as kind of part of the teaching is along is is around the issues of the restoration. Yes, you but know, Lawrence in his own blog, you know, like I, I think uh, some you know some of the original footage is easily available on YouTube. Right, so actually, I think that would make a great teaching thing. You can show the original, yeah. you know, and then you could show the film. Actually, it could bring up all kinds of problems of history and representation and so on. Absolutely. Kind of... But the point is that every that any conversation around this film has to include the fact that has to include the nature of the film. You, you know, know what, what I, I mean? find troubling about all of the conversation around this film, mm. you know, and kind of it's it's the dictatorship of the image because, you know, one of the things as you mentioned that was so interesting is the sheer number of voices, mm. right, that we hear. Now, you know, each aspect of those voices is like the equivalent of extracting a photograph 
from you know a group shot mm. right because what they've done is they've taken you know probably a sentence you know or a word or <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. You know, and actually out of that they've stitched these narratives of all of those different voices they're never named as you hear them right they are meant to be individual voices because you hear the differences in accents and ways of speaking but actually you know you're never directed as to who is speaking it's always like a soldier's yeah it's never speaking. no names come right? up or anything like nobody's that nobody's complaining about that or the authenticity of that or mm. you know kind of the historical ethics of doing that which def you know de yeah. facto you're erasing all of these people by unifying them into a voice right so I just think that's interesting. All of the problems that have been raised have been raised around the use of images, mm. right? Uh, and of course, you know, kind of, yeah, cinema is images and sounds and nobody's given a fuck about the sound. Yeah, true. Uh, but, it's, uh, but it is also, I think that's an interesting point, but I think it's also true to say that um, uh, while, while, as you say, the, the, the voices are just kind of played one after the other, um, and you're never given a hint as like who in particular is talking. Um, they are all named at the end, but um, you don't know who's talking. You don't, when. You don't, you, yeah, and it's, you, you, so they're not assigned to particular voices. Yes. But, but you are given all the names. But um, the footage is also given credit. It's given credit, but nonetheless, like it's, it, um, th there is a difference in in the nature of what it is. So, like the voices, you could you could there is a, there is an interesting aspect I think in the in the fact that it is these are voices of people many many years after the war ended. Talking about their memories mm. and the idea that their memories may have may, may have um, kind of affected. There are many things: um, the memories, the idea, the ideology through which they speak, and yeah. how that might have changed from, you know, uh, nineteen thirteen fourteen to like whenever they were recorded in maybe the fifties or sixties, right? Kind of, you know, what we understand is shaped by access we have to ways of understanding. Yeah. So all of those things will have changed. None of them the film accounts for, you know, it is all a problem in terms of establishing truth claims mm. for the film. Uh, but I don't think it's kind of, it, it's necessarily a problem, uh, you know, to have an experience of the film based on, you know, an artist kind of shaping that material in his own way. I agree. Yeah. But the, so, I just said the, the, the point I was trying to pick up on was that these voices with the kind of, with the one or two things we've, we've you can identify about, say, the idea, the ideologies they may be speaking through, the memories maybe have been kind of roast hinted over the years or something like that. Um, these are still their voices, whereas whereas what's been done to the footage is very very deliberate mm. and actually has some kind of from from Peter Jackson's director has has a kind of editorial um, aspect to it, which is slightly different. For, particularly, for instance, that sunset shot right at the end, where it, it, actually that shot fades back into the black and white footage. Yes. And in the black and white footage, there is no indication that there is a sunset going on at the yes. time. That is a purely romanticised image. Sure. Um, so that that's the kind of difference I'm talking about, I guess. Yes, no, and I get that, you know. Um, but again, I kind of, I just personally... Yeah. You know, don't have a problem with that. I mean, I have, you know, I do things sometimes where I take macho film stars like John Wayne or whatever, you know, and I kind of, I redraw lipstick on them or whatever, <laughs> you know. Now, you know, that's a commentary, right? But it's kind of, yeah, and, and it's kind of my making a commentary on their image or mm. whatever. It's my thing, you know, kind of. I'm not saying <laughs> that John Wayne was gay or anything, but, you know, I want people to think about, mm. you know, kind of. So... 
you know, I think what Peter Jackson is doing to me is, well, it's obviously different. It would have been very brave if he put lipstick on this office. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I kind of... I don't think there's any question, This is, I guess this is the point, there is no question that, that the film is trying to show you, try, trying to convince you that of um, authenticity in this. I think that was a problem with the promotion material. I, I think seen absent from the promotional material, the film comes across as as a point of view on yes. the war and and a way of a, tr a way of trying to tell the story of the war mm. that is not trying to kind of be monolithic or is not trying to take over from, a, from okay. other points. I haven't seen any of the publicity. So. Well, the, the publicity was was a, a real point of. I was talking to Lawrence about this quite a bit. Um, the, uh, the the promotional stuff um, was really, really, really heavily trying to sell the point with Peter Jackson involvement in the trailers, like his you know, talking to an interviewer of saying, talking up how bad the original footage is. Basically talking about it being black and white, um, there being kind of you know, scra scratches and dirt on the prints, that sort of thing, the, the odd frame rates, the idea of it being sped up footage, you know, as mm. if you couldn't just play it at the, the natural yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. frame rate. And then talking about, like basically having to talk about how awful the source footage is to emphasise how great our contribution has been. Yes. Okay, that's um, been established to be false. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a spanking new restored version a recently restored version available. Yeah, so. and and the um, the I mean the title I think says that as well. The title "They Should Not Grow Old," which comes from Lawrence Binion, is it Lawrence Binion poem? Yeah, Lawrence Binion's poem for the fall. And actually, the original line is "They shall grow not old." It's been changed to yeah. uh, "They shall not grow old." But um, like, that's from a war poem. But it's it's sort of like Peter Jackson saying like "They shall not grow old" because I have the technological means to keep them from being forgotten. To keep them young, which which I really dislike. There is something about that title which I find very distasteful. Um, I can, I um. That's the way it kind of feels to me. Again, I, uh, there's I, a very I, deliberate I, reason. I don't feel that way. There's a very I deliberate mean, reason that title's been chosen. I think, and I think part. I mean, one of the one of the reasons that the film is um, of such interest is that it's not just a film by Peter Jackson, who's an Oscar-winning director, about the First of War, it's that there's been a technological project going on here, and that is half the reason to see it, if not most of the reason. Well, I think that's been oversold, right? Because, you know, what it does is to, you know, to colorize films, you know, uh, or to inject 3D, you know, onto archival footage. I mean, th there's nothing, you know, cutting edge about doing any of that. Sure, but it, I mean, in terms of our, our actual experience of having just seen it, we would both agree that actually it's not that great a kind of difference and that we can cope with it. Yeah. But, it, but in terms of the way it's been talked about and promoted, like that is the reason, that's the way it's being sold. I think part of the part of the commission from the IWM was along the lines of, we went to Peter Jackson, or Peter Jackson said, they came to me and said, what can you do with this? Mm. We want to show it in a way that it's not been seen before, that sort of thing. Well, I think, And there is a lot of talk as well about think, it being, being sh about kids not being able to engage with black and white footage as if, you know, part of the disadvantage, really, about having read on this film the before, before we see it is that we're actually kind of talking about those things instead of talking about the film oh, no, you know, and our response to the film. A know. little bit, but I think it's really important because I think the context around this is enormously important. Well, I, I think it's no more important than in any other film, right? So, you know, kind of the job of the publicity man is to sell you you know, a version of the film that they think will sell. You know, on the other hand, kind of, there is what you go and see the film as and your kind of experience of it. And, you know, kind of, you can ignore, uh, you know, their, their, their patter. Uh, you can ignore their shtick and just put it aside, you know. I kind of, um, so, so, 
So what? How they want to sell you the film? I mean, that's the thing. It's like our experience of the film um, ha- has actually been much kind of lighter than that. And we took different things from it. And we'll continue to talk about it. There are a couple of things at least I want to talk about. But, um, but I just think that it, that it was... It, I think it's a point of interest that um, that it's, it's being sold and promoted as, as such. And like I say, I think the, the kind of central idea of it initially from the commission was that it would be this, this way of rejuvenating the, this imagery for younger generations who can't, who couldn't possibly cope with black and white footage in full frame. I know, I was interested in kind of, again, in Lauren saying, well, you know, my students are proved that that's not the case. Because actually, my, my students are proved that it is the case. There is a resistance to watching black and white. Okay. I mean, I see it even with you. <laughs> you know, much less kind of, you know, students who are already 12 years younger than you. I think there, I think there is a barrier to watching uh, black and white films amongst young people. There's no question about that uh, for me, you know. So actually, I don't know whether, I mean, certainly I'm against colorization in principle, you know, of, of movies, yeah, just because I think, you know, part of the art that they have, if they're shot in black and white, the values that the black and white brings and the lighting and the cinematography mm. and so on, it really matters. You know, I kind of, um, I don't know, I think in a way, partly this is different, right, because, you know, it wasn't... Uh, the film was shot as a document, right? So actually, I suppose then there are things about you change the document by colorizing it or you mm-hmm. change its status as a document. I think those are all, you know, I understand why those are all issues of concerns to historians. Um, I think myself as a spectator, it's not a concern, you know? Uh, and I think it did work on me, actually. You know, when, when I saw the camera going through those faces and they kind of, and they came into color, it, there was a thing that all of a sudden kind of they did seem more three-dimensional to me they felt more individual right so if part of the process of giving names and faces or faces at least of individualizing the mass of people who gave up their lives in world war one mm. i think for me it succeeds yeah okay so let's talk about uh, something slightly different then um uh, let's talk about brexit in this context. Yeah, it came to me, it, it occurred to me um, once or twice. Actually, it occurred to me very early on with the, um, uh, I think I mentioned that with the with the, the idea of these young people being encouraged to go to war. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, whereas in the modern day, kind of the the argument over whether 16 and 17 year should have been allowed to vote for Brexit so they can give their lives 100 years ago, but they can't, they can't give their now. vote today. Um, no, I think that's disgraceful. Occurred to me. Yes. Um, but also, um, what then occurred to me, <laughs> I was kind of thinking generally about Brexit in terms of, is this a film aimed at, like, who is this aimed at and who, and who would be likely to like it? I remember when we watched Darkest Hour, mm. we came out of that basically saying, like, this is a film for people who voted for Brexit in a way. But yes. is this the same sort of thing? Now, I'm not sure that it is. No, I don't um, think so. Uh, and one thing that I really picked up on was... Um, when, when you're being shown before the war, uh, the, the, the voices are talking about wanting to go over there and fight Jerry. Mm. You know, we didn't like the Germans, we wanted to go over there and beat them. And there's, and there's no talk about kind of what the overarching reasons behind the war might have been. There's no talk about the politics or anything like that. That's all for the higher brass. No one talks about that. People just talk about, I wanted to go and get involved in the fight. Mm. And then uh, later on, very, really towards the end of the film, you start to see Germans in the footage. They're being taken prisoners, prisoners of war. Mm. And you hear the the people, uh, the, the veterans talking about them, and you see footage of um, 
the, the soldiers, sometimes they're kind of sitting together, they're kind of getting on, they're swapping hats. And, and what, the, what the people are talking about, what the voices are remembering, is that we found out that these people were a lot like us. A lot of them just kids like us, mm. um, of the same but sort much, of ages. Much thinner, less well-fed, less well-provisioned. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, one guy talking about this guy was a barber, another guy says the guy I was talking to spoke a bit of English and told me that he was a waiter at the Savoy. The Savoy, yes. Um, so what that made me think about was the idea of <laughs> hating these other people until you get to know them. Yeah. You know, and the idea that kind of, yeah, I can't speak to the idea that, that a lot of regions that voted more heavily for Brexit in the UK were places that had lower immigrant populations. That, that, that you know, it's that, that kind of idea of, you know, I hate all these people except for the guy who lives next door to me, he's fine. Yes. That sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have to, you see, what I also liked very much about the use of those voices is, you know, you had the British soldiers saying, oh, the Bavarians were lovely, you know, and kind of, you know, and the Saxons weren't too bad, and the Wutterbergians, you know, but those Prussians were so <laughs> nasty, or, right? Yeah. Like, I, you know, that kind of, they had a collective experience that kind of made just these regional differences about the Germans, that, you know, the Germans were no longer just the Hun or whatever, right? That, you know, there were like, yeah, not only differences amongst individuals, but actually differences amongst the regions of Germany, right? Yeah. You know, I thought that was, that was very interesting. Um, I still think, or, you know, in relation to kind of the Brexit argument, and I, I think it's kind of interesting because, of course, Peter Jackson is a New Zealander. I still don't like how little any of these films speak to a collective experience of empire. I mean, you know, I wonder how my friends in Canada, for example, will react to this. You know, because as you said at the beginning, it still gives the impression you know, that World War One, you know, was fought mainly by English people. You know, you could include a few Scots, the kilts come out, you know, occasionally when you need some, some kind of visual movement within the frame, you know, but actually that it was the whole empire that, you know, was not given much. You, you, you do see a Sikh regiment, actually, you know, once, right? The film is shaping an English story out of a, I know. a worldwide... So actually, I think, to me, that there, there would be problems, yeah. you know, around that, right? Because... You know, each of those battalions, as far as I understand, kind of, or each of these regiments, you know, they were all kind of led by kind of the, you know, the, 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 the forces of the British Empire, right? It wasn't just like England fighting World War I. Mm. So kind of all of those erasures of Australians and New Zealanders and Indians and, you know, kind of South Africans and all of those kind of different people that really had no call to bloody come and fight World War One, except, you know, that everyone was part of the British Empire, and then you, you fought for the, you know, the motherland was the British Empire, and then it's as if all, if all of it is always being done by England, mm. I've, you know, I think there's something Brexity about that, yeah, we yeah. did it alone, We're, we can do it alone, we can go it alone, but actually, that to me is the biggest historical untruth about all of these films, <laughs> yeah. The Darkest Hour and, you know, and so on. So, you know, but that could just be me, but I felt that No, I, 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 that, I was thinking along those lines as well, and I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking particularly kind of what you would make of it in a way, ah, I guess. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, when we went to, um, uh, we went to uh, Northern France and Belgium, um, was it last year or two years ago? I think two years ago now. Um, and and we're looking at you kind of walk out. It's it's all that, like that is that yes. was the kind of theatre of World War One. Yes, we enormously. saw the trenches and we, we saw walk through them. <laughs> saw an awful lot of trenches and and, and um, 
war cemeteries and things like that. And um, and actually, um, I forget exactly where the region was, but there's there's the one region that we went to where there's an awful lot of uh, Canadian remembrance. Yes. Um, uh, which you know you were you were pleased by. Yes. Uh, and, and and rightly so. Um, well, you know that documents so, kind of those historical acts in a way that are blatantly excluded from this film. I think there's one yeah. mention, you know, about you know how the Canadians gambled with more money or something. Yeah, that's you right. Know, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, the the Canadians and Australians when they gambled, they spent vast sums that the English did. Yes. These, these poor old Yorkshire <laughs> sort of yeah. people in poverty had never seen the likes. Yeah, so it's um, like they didn't give up their lives. They were just, you know, they're fatter and richer playing cards. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. Like, um, I, I would like to know kind of how how editorial it's been on, on Jackson's part, in a way, like these, as I say, these kind of 114 voices are... Or, are almost all English, um, and and you wonder how many people of other nationalities um, could have been included and weren't could, from as in from the from the archive of, of I, tapes. I think that, that, well, mean? yeah, I think that's probably an issue, right? I mean, these oral histories, you know, were probably all conducted in England, mm. right? Uh, how much was the commission of the film to do with telling an English centric story? That sort of thing. It is. It is the Imperial War Museum, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, and also, I imagine that someone with maybe a bit more imagination uh, would have at least kind of looked and seen if there were equivalent oral histories mm. in Australia, in Canada, mm. you know, maybe in India or South Africa. I mean, I'd be pretty sure that you know such things could be found, you know, in Canada. Mm. Yeah, conversations with World War One vets. You know, um, so I don't know. Anyway, I don't I want to belabor this point too well, much. The, the other thing I want to, the other thing about it is that the film is putting together a kind of, it's putting together a, an experience of the war as as experienced by largely um, kind of poorer and from the sounds of it younger um, English people, mm. English men um, who went to fight and. So, I wonder if 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 the kind of differences that might be brought out by by people of different nationalities within the empire talking about their experience of fighting for it might you know, um, might have forced the film down a different route that they didn't want to go down that sort of thing. Maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Right? It remains speculative. We can only deal with what is there. Mm. Actually, I think an interview with uh, Jackson about you know how they made the choices that they did would be an interesting thing to yeah. do you know uh, uh, if it could be done but you know right now it's all speculative you know what I do find interesting though is that it is kind of it becomes another example of everything kind of being reduced to an English experience yeah you know I think uh, you have to keep it in your head because it, if you keep it in your mind that this was an, an imperial effort um, then it's very clear that there is exclusion of those experiences yes. within the film. That's and right. the film is, is trying to tell you a story of what English blokes kind of experience the war as. So it's not to say that's like that's kind of of no value or anything. Of course it's not. And it's an interesting film and it's an interesting kind of set of experiences to hear. But it is an exclusion that you have to be aware of. Yes, and I think it's particularly important for historians to be aware of it, mm. you know, because you can understand the bloke on the street saying, 
you know, oh, my grandfather fought in the war and, you know, having that kind of my great grandfather, you know, and having that particular experience of it. But I think it's kind of interesting how often, you know, historians reduce, you know, war effort to, a, uh, you know, to a, to a, um, a small England version of what it was. I mean, often not even taking the, the UK on board. Right, like you know, kind of, uh, mu yeah, m much less kind of mm. a consideration that in fact, you know, the British Empire was very active. You know that its forces and goods were provided in huge numbers, mm. right? You know, and that kind of, you know, um, uh, 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 I, I, just the same way that those Jamaicans in Windrush didn't need a British passport because they were British, <laughs> yeah. right? Kind of you know, a more expanded notion of these discussions of World War One, right? And a more inclusive one and a kind of, you know, I mean, just because the relations now are different, mm. yeah, it doesn't mean that in 1919 or 1939, you know, uh, uh, they're the same as now, you know? Yeah, and I guess this is, th this, um, how to put it, there is something anodyne about the film in that it, um, it doesn't, it has, it, has no interest in making a question of any of that. You know, there's a there's a there's a wonderful uh, philosopher, Canadian Farouk, uh, philosopher, called Harold Innes, who's got this thing called Empire and Communications, where he says, you know, the thing about empire is that they don't need to know anything about anybody else, right? Because they're the center of power and commerce and money and trade and mm. you know, and armies, right? Whereas actually, if you live on the periphery, if you live in the colony, mm. right, then you have to know everything about empire. Because actually, if you don't know everything about empire, as well as your own culture, you can't survive. You can't do business. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so that there's always like this mismatch in communication. And actually, the interesting thing about Brexit is that kind of, you know, I think people still have the attitudes that go along with empire, but actually with neither the financial, military, or diplomatic uh, power that goes along with it, right? So there's still the sense you don't need to know about anything else, really, because you are the center of it. And actually, you're no longer the center, and you do need to know about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I think the way that a film like this interprets that history in a kind of a, a narrowly local way, right, mm. is to me part of the problem. Even I, though I it's think, done by a fucking New Zealander. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, but I think actually, you can, like, I think you can generalize that idea in a way. Like, it's not just about empire, and, uh, it's about any kind of, uh, you know, kind of difference in power and, and hegemony. Like, like, like if 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 you're a man, you know, you don't really need to know anything about women because you can get along just fine without knowing it. Whereas so if you're a woman, true. you need to know everything it's, about it's guys. About if power. you're black, you need to know everything about white people. If you're white, you don't need to care about other races. Or, or, yeah, no, I, I think that's like, that's. I think it can be generalized. Point, yes. I think it can, and it is about power. You can re you know reduce it to power relations, really. Yeah. You know so. Anyway, and we, which is and so ultimately, like the point then is that in this film, like it does nothing to question or or, or even bring up any of that. It is it is just it's English through and through, and you just and if you're English, you get to not think about it. But let's also, I mean, I did find the film moving, right? So yeah. let's let's kind of move a little bit to what I think are are sure. are, you know, the film's achievements. I I really found it moving. I found it moving, you know, for many reasons, right? Kind of, you know. Um, people's attitude, you also get a sense of how impoverished their lives would, were and, mm. and how few options they came into the army with, right? One of them says, I like to be told what to do, right? <laughs> like, you know, kind of, you know. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are people with little options and, you know, kind of 
then basically they just did what they were told in the army. And the big shock, of course, was not so much what happened during the war, though, you know, you're told how terrible every moment of that was and what they saw and what they experienced. But actually, the most heartfelt hurt seems to be what happened when they came back, mm. you know, and that and nobody no one, cared. no one cared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that's what I get out of it. And actually, I think that was true then and it's true now. Right. It's all rah rah going into the war and it's always war vets begging for money homeless, you know, mm. without a limb when they return. Right. So this idea that, you know, nations pay lip service to their vets and mm. thank you for your service, but then fuck off, you know, and get your own wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, it really, really made me think of the whole thank you for your service thing you get in America. Yes. Which is kind of creeping in over here bit by bit. You don't, But it's not nearly like, it's a real cult over there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a military junta, basically. Yes. In the United States. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really, it really made me think of that. Like, it's it's all about the lip service and about um, kind of showing showing deference and... and uh, you know, when when you see someone in military uniform, you you talk to them and you say, "Well, thank you for your service," and that and the other. To the point where, uh, you know, a lot of members of the military don't don't really like it very much. A lot of them actually haven't seen any conflict. So yes. so then to be told in the queue at KFC, "Thank you for your service," is like, I haven't done anything. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Um, well, and also thank you for your service also implies that people have options. You know, and often what you see, you know. Um, I mean, in a lot of documentaries or, you know, social history that's being written about America at the moment is that people have no options. There's no jobs, mm. really. So you join the army or, yeah. or you're on welfare, really. Well, you join yeah. the army because that gets you your, your, your health care or it gets you your pension or it gets you whatever. Exactly. And it's, and it's right? actually, so, so you have the, to the risk country, your life. The country to get gives healthcare. you no options to force you into the army. Yeah. And there are no jobs. You yeah. know, I think that's important as well. You know, so so this thank you for your service when I don't have a fucking option, mm. but to risk my life for a bit of healthcare mm. is, yeah. And actually, I think it's creepy that the ideology behind that, beyond that, behind that, isn't kind of constantly underlined, right? That kind of, you know, it's how effective the mass media is and so on, and kind of discourses that shape people's thought because. You know, to even question that uh, in the current climate, you're made to think you're unpatriotic or anti-American or, you know, mm. uh, just speaking an obvious or what seems to me an obvious truth. It's somehow thought to be anti-American, you know. Mm. Um, but anyway, we must return to the film and perhaps wrap it up. Well, ultimately, I guess I'd say, you know, with, with, we, had a, we had a whole conversation about the ethics behind, behind what they, was done to the footage and the ideas and all that sort of thing. Um, which is all kind of perfectly valid to have, but I think ultimately it is a pretty successful portrait of an experience or set of experiences of the First World War. Yes. Which I think is kind of valuable. Um, I think the film is very successful at, you know, both individualising and through kind of knitting together those individual voices and faces and images to kind of give a sense of a collective experience. Mm. that is shared. And I, I did find, you know, that it, that it worked uh, on me, you know, kind of both emotionally and, and actually just in giving you lots of things to think about. Mm. Yeah. So go see it. Yeah, it's worth it. I think it's going to be shown on the BBC. Ah, okay. Then tune in. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Website into your um, into your history. That's, That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, it's it's planned to be aired on Armistice Day, November okay. the eleventh. Well, voila. Then apparently, BBC One Armistice Day is going to be shown. So, it, okay. and, and it will be worth watching. Yes, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and, and we're Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, eavesdroppingatthemovies.com, and YouTube. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye.